because <laughs> no, because there's going to come a time where you are an old fart rocking because you're going to be the only one that actually has expertise to, yeah. to actually do. Like playing with Previt, like Bobby Previt, like the guy who's like 62 or 63, like who like, you know, that's the music he grew up on it. Like no one can really play it. Like we can't play it like that. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, just I mean something... we're 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 getting a, a, a kind of a hand-me-down exactly version, but we yeah. listen to a lot of records, and you know this day and age with the YouTube and everything, we yeah. we, we try to come as close as we can to, exactly. to, to being there. Yeah, know? totally, totally. And uh, for everything, yeah, for jazz, for rock, for soul, aren't you know, aren't fucking asshole shit. I'm sorry, <laughs> for Tourette's. <laughs> <laughs> Christian fuckers! <laughs> Allahu Akbar! Allah! No Muslim sounds, please! No Muslim sounds. I told you that story about, uh, what's his name? Um, yeah. Trelot Gertu that time at the basement in Sydney, Australia. Like, he. This is kind of fucked up. I shouldn't put this on the podcast. <laughs> Think twice before you put this on. But he was, we were playing this like many years ago, and, um, he was giving like a master class the day before and we got in the day before so let's go check it out and it was like you know this basement club in the daytime and these fucking you know they had the lights on and there's like a lot of people in there you know this guy tree like too he's gonna do his thing yeah. and um see me dave ellis and scott amandola went to to check it out and um we're sitting there we're really tired burned out and the first thing he does when he comes out there there's all these people out there we had never seen we didn't know anything about him didn't know where he's from or anything like this you know and uh, he comes out there and he's like just sort of like holding his hands up to the light like wincing you know <laughs> in the lights and all these people are sitting there waiting <laughs> silently in their pin drop and he goes please can you turn these lights off you are grilling me <laughs> grilled and I swear grilled I just dissolved in a, just a puddle of my own fluids <laughs> I couldn't handle anymore oh shit. grilling me oh my god so dude I was um, telling somebody the other day about I was telling my wife to see I'm going to see Eric Cal she goes let's tell him I said hi and said, yeah, he's got a great story about having his nipple bitten oh. while he's on Elsa. And she one. says, stop, stop, don't even stop. This is, maybe I have to file that under the musician. Uh, the nipple biting story. Oh, my God, man, that's terrible. Yeah, he um, uh, just got done with it. We were on, like, I always get confused. Block Island, Martha's Vineyard, one of those. One of those. One books. of those islands yeah, out yeah. there where all the wealthy people are. Um, Where they hire, <laughs> hire us to do the bidding. Yes, isn't it always that way? But um, I just got done with the set, and there was this little back porch. Hey, hang on. Can, what is that? Is that in here? That is that someone, there? I believe, like using a weed whacker oh, in the okay. backyard out there. Bastard! All right. Sorry, or man. Something like that. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, whatever. We'll just There's rock. a yard right here, and this guy's always kind of... Sometimes he's rustling right there in the corner, and I'm like, hey, beat it. <laughs> Stop rustling. This is my only solitude in New York City. Stop rustling. <laughs> okay, so wait, so, so uh, get back to the story again. So you were, you were in a, um, this is the nipple-biting story. So the nipple-biting like story. Rock uh, Island or Fire Island or one of those Not Fire Island. It was, it, was like, it was like Nantucket or some okay. sh- something like that. 
Um, and we played and uh, just got off stage and uh, go outside. There's this little deck there. And, uh, I'm just standing there talking to someone. This kid comes up to me and he says, dude, you are amazing on the drums. You sounded amazing. I said, well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. And he says, hold on a second. Lean back. And so I, like a fool, lean back. And he goes, <laughs> dives headfirst onto my nipple and starts, clamps down just like as hard as he can. With his teeth. Ah. With his teeth. So I just start punching him in the head because it's like, you know, like when a shark bites you or something, oh, you, no. you can't rip it off, he'll yeah. rip the nipple yeah. off. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. So I just start punching him in the, oh and finally, God. you know, after like the fifth punch, he's like, oh, well, maybe I should let go. This kind of hurts. <laughs> and I get him off and I'm like, what the? You better get out of here or I'm going to kick your ass. And he, uh, uh, gar uh, finally, like a security comes over and like ejects him out the back. Oh my God! Oh my God! That's you know that's how he was showing his gratitude. Was that's, he? Uh, he wanted to decided to relieve you of your your uh, mammalhood. I think he thought that I I would enjoy this. Oh my God! I don't know. Maybe it's kind of pre-internet, so insane, there was none of that man. nasty stuff about yeah. me. But... <laughs> <laughs> none of that stuff that's been floating around so prevalently. Yeah. Um, I, got other, I got a lot of a lot of stories like that. Well, you know, when you when you got out, you told me you like went to music Berkeley School of Music for a minute, and then you got out, and then you were playing like yeah. in an R and B band in Connecticut, right? Yeah. And that to you was like, from what I understand, was like where this when the schooling actually began was when you were not in school, but when you were in the school of these old older curmudgeonly R and B kind of Nazi guys. Well, some right? of them, a few of them were older. Uh, most of them were my age, but they just. Uh... Um, it was actually through a bass player um, that I went to Berkeley with. His name's Dave Lavolsi, and uh, great bass player, one of my favorite bass players. Still, I just played with him last week, actually, up in Connecticut. And um, he, uh, I was li I was back on Long Island. I had just gotten out of Berkeley, and I was trying to gig and do what I was. I was doing all these whatever weddings, you know, like most musicians, and. Uh, he called me up and he said, hey man, um, I'm playing in this R&B band in Connecticut and uh, we need a drummer. And so I went up there and checked it out and I was immediately like, I have to be in this band because it was every, <laughs> at, at the age that I was at, at you know, 20, 21, you know, I hadn't had that experience. I had done a lot of rock gigs and I was playing jazz up at Berkeley. So it was either, to me, when I was, when I was at Berkeley, it was either you played rock or you played jazz. And there was this in-between area right. kind of didn't exist <laughs> because, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. There's kind of, there's like, there's no way that you can really teach that. It's like, know? it's like we say, I was talking to, uh, Dorthon Kirk the other day about Roland Kirk and how all of the all of the um, curriculum revolves around like Coltrane or Charlie Parker things that that right. can be quantized exactly. and curricularized it's like yeah. Roland Kirk or like R&B like try to grab it's like trying to grab a handful of smoke you know you're yeah. not going to really get I mean, much there, there isn't a real book for um, not that the real book is really correct right <laughs> but there isn't a, a book that you can learn how to play 
the blues. If there if there is, I don't want to know about it. You know, <laughs> or, or, or or R&B and soul. It's kind of like it's passed down. It's like storytelling. You right. know, it's 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 um it's culture. You know. Right. Well, for in your case, it certainly is because you're you know I mean whenever people ask me, oh yeah, man, Eric Calberry, I. You know, I said, well, you should give him a call. You know, he's, I mean, it's just like, well, yeah, I was, I, well, man, you know what, listen. They said, well, what does he play like? I was like, well, listen to this. And I said, well, really, okay, listen. It's like, really like playing with Joe Dukes. <laughs> yeah. If Joe Dukes was not too crazy and high to play <laughs> with from what, well, from what people, time. from what people, I've, <laughs> I, you know, and, and that's, but that's the thing that for, for whatever reason, that's your sound and your, your particular affinity and not just Joe Dukes, but also, you know, a lot of Clyde's double field and obviously, uh-huh. obviously coming from a jazz improvis, improviser's mentality. So it's not like, yeah, it's not incredibly stiff and confined you're you're thinking yeah. in those terms you know you're thinking broadly but you still have that groove that you do and that feel that you do is coming out of that legitimately coming out of that sound it's like one time you were telling me how you and a friend of yours were seeing some guys playing like real heavy duty like jazzers like play they had a funk song and to you, maybe was it Street Al Street? He said he says, yeah. Every time they play music like that, they don't, it doesn't sound good because they're always going kee hee. Like the idea yeah, about it is they're playing like, it and, and going tee hee You know, like they don't. Yeah. There's you know, and it's not every jazz musician that thinks like that. I mean, there's there's so many different types of musicians. That some yeah. guys get it and some guys don't. But some, I I think it's like it's the mostly like a college thing, like a university thing, when they, they, they get into so much of this complex music that something that's simple, they just blow off. And they think that it's, it's not worth checking out or putting time into. But then when you see them play it and hear them play it, it's, painfully it's not obvious. convincing. It's painfully because obvious. Because there's yeah. another thing that goes into playing simply and playing with a groove yeah. And also playing with a with a touch, with a with a sensitivity. I mean, that was going back to Berkeley. That was the thing. You would either have like rock, and I hung out with the rock players, and I hung out with jazz guys. And when they would see me on either side of the fence, most of the time they'd be like, "Oh, you, you're hanging out with those guys," because you know there, there was kind of like a division there, you know. And I, I like both kinds of music, but at that time, I wasn't country really... Country and Western. Country and Western. I wasn't really exposed to the R&B and soul as deep. Right. And I think that was the missing link. And so I had all this jazz training, uh, you know, and education, but I grew up listening to, like, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, so I knew how to rock. So it was when it, it finally came together, and through this band... These guys had all these records, you know, all the Stax records and everything, and and blues records, BB King and Buddy Guy, and and, and I that was seen, your real school in a lot of ways, in terms well, of well, it was the part of like finishing I would never, school. Yeah, I would never disrespect Berkeley because my time there I really loved, and I loved all the experiences that I had there. But like I said, I knew something was missing, and I felt like I didn't completely fit in, you mm, know. Mm. Um, so when I got with these guys, oh, you know, that was that was another education. And we were just gigging like five nights a week, you know, making nothing. 
and I moved into a house with them and we just started uh, just playing all the time and listening to records, you know, and I did that intensely for a couple of years and um, it was great. Yeah, well, it I mean, great. it, it shows, it, you know, that's the thing about the way that you play, you'll have people that can touch on some of the stuff. You know, you'll say, hey, will you, will you give me that Joe Dukes thing? Or give me, they don't even really know how to say give me that Joe Dukes thing. I think that well, might be. A lot of people don't know who Joe that Dukes. or what that is. But they'll say, like, give me that kind of Idris thing or give me this thing. Right, Idris but, is more popular. Yeah, for me, your thing that you have going on is, you, you know, there's always this thing about, you know, you need to get a good balance of the intellectual and the visceral. You know what I mean? Right. And the thing about it is that when you, with the way that you groove and the way that you play the drums, with the touch, with the feel, all that stuff that you have, it's about taking the, the, all of that way of grooving seriously in an intellectual manner that's not uh, cerebral in that it's you're letting the magic be created it's not it's not this overwhelming uh mathy kind of connecting the dots kind of thing yeah i mean i i try i try to play some of those types of things that are i'm always open to that type of stuff yeah i mean i also just i I also wear or whatever i also wear a mini skirt but no one really wants to see that but you don't feel comfortable Exactly. exactly exactly I I've got over time you know I I try to go outside of my comfort zone which is great and you and, should yeah, you should but be it, doing that. yeah it doesn't feel good and it's it's just not my thing you know and I appreciate you know a lot of other other types of music you know um, I mean I'm specifically talking about like the, 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 the what's popular in jazz I don't even know what's popular jazz right now but what we've seen in the past few years more um complex rhythms and and uh polyrhythms and odd, odd meters and, mm-hmm. and a lot of chops and and uh stuff like that and it just makes me feel weird <laughs> <laughs> i just like grooving i like grooving and being in the pocket and and ba- and supporting supporting yeah. uh being in a band situation where everything's locked in and everyone's playing or supporting a singer behind the singer, mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. And it just, it, I, I'm, I'm viewing the big picture. Not to say that that other type of music is, is not viewing the big picture. No, it just depends what you have an affinity for. It just hurts my brain, that yeah. other stuff. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> hey but there's I, a lot of guys that are great at it. Man. Oh, they I, are. Like, I like watching it. I'm a fan of it, you know. You know? Yeah, oh man, totally. Sometimes those guys call me, hey man, you want to do the gig? I'm like, dude, as long as you know I'm not the best reader, and for me, three is an odd time signature. <laughs> yeah. then, then I'm fine. Then yeah. well, it sounds great, you know? You but know, you were going to yeah. hate it. I mean, why are you calling me? You yeah. Know? Oh my yeah, God. you know, and sometimes yeah. you do it, and, and uh, yeah. you know, it's kind you of like an do experiment. What you but, do. I mean, to me, it's like you got to pay me like three times as much to play that stuff. But it pays like three times as less, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because there's three times as not many notes. There. I guess it comes to back to supply and demand again. You know, <laughs> I don't know, man. But um, what was the other question I was going to ask you? It's my brain. We should just be flowing. No, Dorn's okay. going to laugh you can at edit us. Edit this shit. 
Dorn is going to edit it, the poor bastard. Oh, boy. Yeah, he has been doing some serious editing jobs. Dorn, we, we love you, man. We love yeah, you. Yeah, man. We You're going to you. love this one. <laughs> I got some more crazy stories. No, tell he. You know which story? I told him about the Mississippi. story about Mississippi. Was Mississippi. it Mississippi? Mississippi. This is like being Eric Kalb on the road. When was this? Yeah, the road story. 10, well, 15 this, years ago? No, this was actually not that long ago. Oh, it makes it even, even more... Uh, yeah, you'd think that something like this would have happened in my younger years, but uh, that was the shocker because I'd been doing this so long and, and, and not getting gotten into any yeah. uh, problems. But um, so give give us a story. Well, a lot of people that know my name uh, know that I played in a band called Deep Banana Blackout for for about well, we still actually play sometimes, but we just do reunion shows. We broke up. A very lucrative yes. thing, the yes. reunion show. It's great. Um, but we technically broke up in 2003 after being together for seven years. And uh, we were quite successful. But uh, this was one of those instances where we were doing a reunion show in New Orleans during the Jazz Festival. And I believe... We were actually on a bill with, um, we were supposed to be on a bill with Derek Trucks, who I just opened for last week at the Beacon, so that's kind of funny. But um, we, it was a, in um, Jackson's, I want to say Jackson Square, is that a? Yeah, yeah. Is that a park mm-hmm. down there? Of course, yeah. So the deal was everyone was flying, but we didn't, we had limited backline, so... We wanted to bring some stuff down. So there was a deal where if if some of you guys drive the van down to New Orleans, which at this point I will never ever do again, but um, we'll, you'll get some extra bread. And I said, man, I'm in, that's great. I'll go old school, man, we'll drive down, we'll go straight through. So you, you had no idea how old school you would be going. Oh boy. So, uh, you know, we got in the van. It was me and uh, Rob Somerville, the uh, sax player, and uh, Cyrus Madden, the uh, keyboard player. So it's the three of us in a white um, Ford Econo uh, um, line. Yeah, yeah, van, yeah. You yeah. know, the equipment van with a bench in the back. The 350. Yeah, and the, we're, we're basically the just horse. We didn't get a hotel at all. We drove straight down and took turns driving. Right, 22 hours. I've 22 hours. Yeah. I've done it. Wow. You did yeah. it last week, didn't I you? D- I've done it recently. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to brag. I don't want to brag. So, you know, we got on our way and, um, you know, we were, we were, we were driving down and we, there was definitely some, uh, marijuana being smoked okay. on the way down. I'm going to admit that there was a little jar that we had. That kept being pulled out from underneath the, 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 you know, they have a drawer underneath the seat. And uh, so we've been puffing, you know, as we're driving here and there, listening to tunes, bullshit. I had passed out on the bench and uh, woke up, I think it was like nine in the morning. <laughs> and I just wake up and they're immediately handing me a bowl and I get popped and I'm stoned. And I'm like, where the hell are we? Um, oh man, we just got into Mississippi. Okay. 
So we're driving a little while, maybe like an hour later. We see a sign on the side of the road that says, now this is during Jazz Fest, so everybody's right. and the converging on the part of, Yeah, Mississippi, you have to go through Mississippi right. to get there. So there's a sign on the side of the road that says, canine check to, uh, two miles. And so Rob is driving, he says, oh man, canine check. Well, I gotta pee anyway. I, I'm gonna get off at the next exit. Well, the next exit was the canine check. Because it was, it they was, knew if they put that sign exactly, up. Exactly. You, you go get to that one. You go so, to the early exit. We get off the next exit, and there's all these cars and vans being pulled over on the side of the road. They pull us over. I mean, they have shotguns out. Oh, We're in the middle of Mississippi, Pearl River County, Mississippi. Um, they just wave us over to the side of the road. <laughs> And uh, Rob's driving, rolls down the window and says, yeah, uh, why'd you get off at this exit? He says, well, I really got to pee. All right, uh, pull over there. And uh, we, pull, we pull over. He comes over and goes, you got any drugs in the car? <laughs> Someone says, no, officer, we don't have any drugs in this van. And he goes, all right, uh, step out of the car, please. <laughs> so now we all get out of the car. And we're standing on the side of the road. They're all swarming on us with shotguns. Oh my God. I'm shitting my pants because I know that little jar is underneath there. Um, underneath the seat. And uh, they go in there with a dog. Immediately, the dog goes right from underneath the seat. They go, they pull out the jar and he turns around and he goes, you lied to me, boy. Now why'd you have to go ahead and lie to me? It makes me so mad. He did not say that. Oh my Literally. God. Literally. And I'm just like, oh man, that's it. We're done for. So they whip open the back and they start going through everything. And I'm like, well, you know, that is just such a small, in this little jar, that's just a, such a small amount. We, you know, we won't be in trouble. They start going through all the stuff. All of a sudden, he pulls out a coffee can. Oh, no. With, and, and opens it up, and like three ounces of weed go oh, fall no. onto the street. Oh, no. And I'm just like, where the hell did that come from? You know, obviously somebody had stashed it in there because there's you can't get any weed in ja at Jazz Fest in New Orleans. <laughs> there's, nobody's got any down there. Oh my so he turns around and he says, Oh, that's it. You're going to jail five years. Oh, no. You're going to squeal like a pig. He, he literally quoted deliverance. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. So, you know, we, we go down. We're in this. We, they take us. They, they, they handcuff us. They don't even handcuff us. They got these garbage bag ties. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, for sure. So that we're in that. I'm, I'm just getting more and more pissed by the minute because I didn't even know that this stuff was in the back. You know, I knew about the little bit we had, you know. So we get down to the, you know, the, it's like an all-in-one kind of one-stop, like, jail court, you know, <laughs> was it like processing a, area. Was it like in a Sonic burger or something? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they got that next door. So, um, you know, then we're in this holding cell like the three of us in this holding cell 
uh, waiting to go, you know, this tiny little just four by four cell. And we're all just like looking at each other, ready to rip each other's heads off. And there's this guy in the next cell <laughs> going up against the, like there's like a, some kind of like vent in between. Uh -huh. And he's in the vent whispering stuff to us. He's like, oh, they're gonna get you. They're gonna get you. You better watch out. You boys are going down. They're gonna get you. You boy, you're the, you're the, you know. Oh, yeah, and I'm just like freaking out. I'm like, I can't, I've never been in jail, you know? So. What a nightmare. They man. finally process us and bring us into this giant holding cell, you know, where all everybody is. You know, guys that have just been there for weeks and months because they don't have any money and they can't get a court date and they can't get a lawyer and they can't, you know, pay a bond. So they're just right. hanging out, you know. And there's this one dude that's in charge of everything. And we believe the only reason is that he's in charge is because he has control of the TV channel changer. Oh, yeah, that would be the boss. <laughs> I don't know what it took to get control of this TV channel changer, but as soon as we walk in, you know, um, we walk past him, and uh, Cyrus is uh, Indian, uh, American, of Indian descent. And as soon as Cyrus walks past this guy, he looks at me and goes, Yo, what's up, Bin Laden? <laughs> I just goes, Oh, shit. Oh, you right. knew the fun was going to start. Yeah. So I just immediately started pacing around because I had all this manic energy and it apparently it freaked everyone out. My, my, I paced around this whole place and I was mad and I was just, I guess I was just trying to release energy. Just the unpredictability. And they were just, so everyone was on edge because I was just like, you know, and eventually I just found a bunk because it's just all these bunk beds in this giant uh, holding area. This is Pearl River, Mississippi. Pearl River County, Mississippi, wow. yeah. And I just lie down on the top bunk and I'm just like, just lying there. And uh, finally, uh, Rob Somerville comes over and he goes, listen, man, uh, you are freaking everyone out in this place right now. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just lying here. He goes, no, no, the, 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 the guy with the channel changer came up to me and said, yo, what's up with your boy? We don't want any problems in here. Wow. He says, so what you got to do right now is you got to come down and play chess with these guys just to show them that you're totally not. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, all right, I'll go play chess. So I go and sit down across from this black dude with a face full of gold teeth. And he just looks at me and goes, Come on, white boy, I'm gonna whip your ass. <laughs> Did he? He whipped my ass in chess. I think I played three games with him. And after that, it was just chill. But uh, man, did they make us wait and wait and wait. And How long were you there? We, we, we were there the whole weekend and we missed the gig. And, uh, you know, the band was just sitting out there with all the equipment and. Um, Wow. We finally got out of there on Sunday because we made it appear we had to get lawyers and you know, it's just a big money scam basically, yeah. you know. Basically they they set that up because they need to get money coming yeah. into the county. It's revenue, totally. Yeah. And they know that people are gonna be rolling through carrying something. And um, 
So we finally got out there and out of there and hightailed it to New Orleans and woo, boy did we party. Boy, but did you <laughs> did you have to go back to to have a court appearance there? Uh, no. You know, there's all these cockamamie ways that they do things. I didn't have to go back there. There was a lawyer. I had to get a. I was told, don't get a lawyer from New York because that'll upset them. Get a lawyer from down there because you want to keep the money in in house. Totally, it's just yeah. all a scam. And so I got a lawyer from down there, and you know, wow, yeah, I did, and I didn't have to go down there again because he he represented me from Man. afar. Man, you know, wow. So you know, all these it, it, it was it was a it was a bummer for a while. Yeah, big money bummer too. I can only imagine how much that costs. Man. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. They, yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Woo. Yeah, well, you live to tell the story. Well, yeah, and then after that, I was like, I'm not getting in a van with anybody that has drugs. With you know, it's like being a musician. Hey, that's a good way. <clears> Luckily, I hooked up with you <laughs> at a certain point because there was no worry of yeah anybody doing anything. This guy doesn't even drink a cup of coffee. Clean, of, clean as, as, clean as a whistle, so that was or great. I had no not. worries driving around with Charlie Hunter. But, you know, I oh, mean, man, that's, you know, a, that's a hard thing to do because most musicians are, you know, musicians and marijuana go yeah. together like... <laughs> well, you know what, though, man? I mean, that's really, you, you know, that's a good point because I was in this group many years ago, um, not yeah, this group Disposable Heroes of Hip Hop or Yes. And, um, you know, I had been a street musician before that, and I had traveled around a lot, but, you know, I was clean, and, you know, I'd never had to deal with that problem, but there was a guy in this group, and it was a road manager, and he was a, just a pot, yeah. like, addict, you know, I know people say you can't be addicted to it, but man, you know, his mood swings, all that stuff, and um, we were going into Canada, and Michael Franti, who was really smart and very clean guy, was just like, you're not... I know you have weed. And the guy's like, no, I don't. I don't have any. I promise you, I don't have any weed. I don't have any weed. Yeah. And Michael and Rano, who's the other part of that group, they they said, we know you have weed. <laughs> Put, throw, throw it away. And it was in the like coming out of uh, like Bellingham, going to Vancouver. Okay. And they, they pulled the van over to the side of the road, took the guy out, frisked him and all of his stuff, and they took a big bag of weed off of him Threw it in the bushes and made him go back in the car. I, this is how I remember it. Really? He was not a happy camper, but it's like, dude, you're not gonna jeopardize all of our reality so that you, you know. I mean, it's it's absurd. It's like, but they know. didn't arrest him. Well, no, we hadn't gotten to the border yet. He, they, Michael and Ronald took him out. Oh, and, and they oh. frisked. They they frisked him. Oh, oh but we good. were in Japan one time, and. Um, the guy smoked so much weed on such a regular basis that I think that it was just coming out of his pores mm. and his clothes. Because we're at the airport in Naruga, <clears throat> and this guy's waiting at baggage claim, and this dog, one of those beagles, just comes up and will not get over. Just, the dog is all <laughs> he over didn't him. Have it. He, he, was just... he was just exuding it from his very being. <laughs> all his clothes, his shoes, his pores, the dog was just all over him, oh, you know. Man. Totally insane. I mean, that's not to be played with, man. Not in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Woo! Crazy. <laughs> Crazy people, man. Yeah, I mean, some, some guys are more into it than others. Some people, people in general, you know. Yeah. Some people smoke a little. Some people are like, it's the center of their universe, you know. Yeah. 
some people don't do it at all, you know? Yep. So, um, you got any more stories, or should I? Um, I got another story. Give it to me. Give it to me, you bastard. They're all very... Um, Give me the story. Not, it doesn't matter. They're not going to paint a good picture of me, though. <laughs> it's just going to make me look like a drug addict. Listen. <laughs> What, what kind of picture do you want? You want a nice picture, or do you want Bruegels to paint you? Well, I just want to like have a disclaimer that I um... is Melvin Sparks going to be in this story? <laughs> Melvin Sparks is not going to be in this oh, story. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I mean I just want to have a disclaimer that I'm. I mean, I'm not like I will. Attest, I'm not like clean and sober, but I, I am not a drug addict. <laughs> I will attest to Eric Cal being a stand-up dude. Yeah, man, I played with you for two years. Yeah, I, man, I can't be that bad. I had no problems. The only problem I had was myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's the only problem Eric had. Me. <laughs> Mike Williams said when you called him to, uh, you know, to say, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving on and uh, this next month of touring is going to be the last and I'm going to change it up. He said that you said, you know, because if I, if I keep going on with you guys, I'm just going to be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he said that. That's good. Hey, man, that was a really, a really fun band. You know, I just yeah. wish that I had the money to continue doing that, but it just was that terrible time when I was figuring out how to re-get my career into something that worked, Yeah. you know, on a regular basis. And it's taken a while, but it's, you know, it's come back. Yeah. Then, you know. I mean, I, I like what we did because... Oh, me too. Because it kind of, you know, I mean, I play with the Dap Kings. Yeah. Which is which I was telling you when we were on the road. I was like, "Why the hell don't you play with that band? That's your gig, man." Well, you I had played with me. them before. Right, right. I, I joined you. I played with them in. Well, I, the first time I played with them was right after that incident in in Mississippi. <laughs> so I, I joined up with them. So you were seasoned. I was seasoned. Well, you know, I was just like. I mean, I remember even then when I when I joined up with them, I was like, "Oh boy," you know, I was just. Just turn around and take my hand, hand yeah, and have my hand over my mouth. I remember when I when I joined up with them. You know, I was even like kind of just worried about getting back out on the road because that was fresh from right, know, right, from, sure. And I had, and I had traveled around for years without any incident. Mm -hmm. You know, so you start to think that nothing can happen, and something um, can happen. Anything can happen yeah. at any moment, and we're we're pretty lucky, you know. Just, I mean, you know, aside from being harassed by the cops or, or getting in any trouble with them, but accidents and... I'm knocking on wood right now. Yeah, any, the, yeah, the amount know. of traveling that we do on planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, yeah. You know, and boats. It's amazing that, we're, that nothing has happened because sometimes All crazy, right, can't, crazy can't stuff happens. Knocking on wood. Yeah, yeah, stop knocking on wood. This is wood. You know, and we're gonna do a whole lot more because that's just part of what we do. Unless you, you know, have something. Yeah, that's our life. That's that's how we make our living. Yeah, I mean, that's most of the stuff that I've done is road work. I for for some reason the being a studio musician never came together for me. Well, that completely. also is a that's a world that is not. 
you can't pursue both. You can pursue one. Yeah. And I think if you do one of them, a lot of times, unless you're someone that manages to, you know, I mean, that era just doesn't exist anymore. That's part of it. Well, I kind of missed it. Part. By the time I moved to New York, I think it was, and it, you know, it was already kind of, yeah, on the downswing. And I think a lot of it has to do with the technology. Oh, you know. for sure, for sure. It's a different um, world. It's a whole different thing. And you know, the guys in New York and LA that 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 are you know, the session guys that had, you know, a strong hold, they did, they're not letting go. No, and they're no, still no. the top guys, you know. Yeah, yeah, because that's, you know, that's their thing. But they don't, those generally, those guys generally, they're great guys. I know a lot of them, in the, and, but they generally don't tour much. They don't do that. Right, you know. You do that, and you're gone, and you give up a few gigs. Exactly. The next time you come back, and somebody else is... Eric Alves got <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he's getting everyone arrested and thrown in jail. <laughs> oh, man. So, wait, tell me the other story you were going to tell. Oh, the other story is, um, this is a long time ago now. This is, this is like, I think like in between my first and second year at Berkeley. I was playing in Long Beach with a band. And uh, it was the 4th of July, Long Beach, Long Island, New York. And uh, there's like a little strip there. And I was playing in a bar on a corner. And uh, so I go there early to set up. The rest of the band, I don't know how it worked. They had some gig out east at a party during the day Uh with a a different drummer was playing it. I don't know. Can't remember how it worked. But... um. I go in there and I got my drums and I'm the only guy and I set up and where I'm setting up, it's one of these deals, there's, there, there isn't even a stage. It's, it's, I'm setting up by the front door basically, uh-huh. facing into this main room of a bar and the bar is to the right. So you know, you walk in the front door and it's like, there's a drummer with his back to you. I'm like, okay, you know, this is where I'm setting up. <laughs> so while I'm setting up, there's this woman um, older woman. I mean, to me at the time, being like 19, 20 years she's old, she was, she, she was like 50. Okay. She was like 50. So, you know, but to me, it was like, wow, that woman's old. But <laughs> <laughs> so she's like leering at me the whole time I'm setting up the drums. And she's already drunk. So I set up the drums and uh, I go across the street and I get like a can of Coke and a pack of Big Red. Right. And uh, I go walking out of the bodega, deli, whatever it is, and she's standing right there at the door, right in my face, smashed. And she says, <laughs> Oh no. She says, Aren't you going to offer me a piece of gum? <laughs> and I said, Sure. Here's a piece of gum. And I walk away from her. So then <laughs> the day's progressing, the guys show up in the van. And the singer, keep in mind, we're all really young. We're 19 years old. The singer falls out of the van. And he's like, Cal, Cal, we just played this party out east. It was great. This guy had some great acid. Yeah. You want some? I said, yeah, it's the 4th of July. I want to take acid. <laughs> so I take a hit of acid. Day goes on. I'm tripping more and more. And, uh. 
<laughs> I'm playing the drums. We're, we're like in the first set. And um, the woman comes over. They're still in the chair, in the, on the bar stool in the corner. She comes over to me because you can walk right up to right, me. There's nothing course. stopping you. Yeah. Walks right up to me while I'm playing the drums. And leans over and whispers in my ear, this gum is old, and I'm horny. Oh, God. And I just, I'm still playing. And I look up at her, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm tripping. And so she's like, hideous, of course, because she's hideous to begin with. So I'm freaking out. And then she leans down and whispers in my ear, you want a blowjob? Oh, and I look up and I'm like, really? Right now? And I'm thinking, that would be crazy. Like, I'm playing the drums and I'm tripping on acid. And this woman wants to give me a blowjob. Before I can even, like, piece it together in my mind, she falls face first into my snare drum. And now, being the good musician that I am, I'm like, whoa, I can't miss the backbeat. So I grab her by the back of the hair and hit the backbeat right in time. <laughs> And I take her and I throw her back into the bouncer's arms, who's standing right behind me, and I say, get her the hell out of here. All he does is take her and throw her back into the stool that she was sitting in all day. About 20, minutes, oh, 20 minutes to a half hour later, I see three guys carrying her over their heads, and she's going, ah! just screaming her head off. Apparently she lived right upstairs and is Aww. always in this bar. That's amazing, man. That's something completely out of like a. That's got to be like a, a Bukowski story or something. Like yeah, that. I mean, there's yeah. Oh, some God. of these stories that's are crazy. One, and as I'm telling them, I'm, I'm like, I hope my father doesn't hear this. Yeah, but you know what? Because <laughs> he's always googling me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Yeah. Well, so be it. It's a great story. You turned out okay. That's what's more important: <laughs> is that he's a solid citizen. And no more acid for me. Those days are a long time ago. Oh my God! Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> can't, much less playing the drums and doing it at the same time. Oh my God! You know, because you you, you go to hit the, the the cymbal and you know, I think the last time that I did that, the, I went to hit the cymbal and instead of it going, it went. And I said, oh, it's like. I can't do this. But then, uh, <laughs> then uh, what Timothy Leary and Aldous Huxley were right, man, because that's really what the symbol does anyway, right? It's kind of, right. It's probably it was like Slow amazing, down, and then I was right? just I was just like so focused on the symbol, but you know you can't you can't play, and I mean I don't know how Jimi Hendrix did it, but I mean it sounds amazing. Yeah, the sounds that he's getting, so. It's it's just yeah, for me it didn't it didn't work anymore and I came to this yeah. point where either you play the drums or you know do you know yeah, smoke or, exactly. or take something yeah, yeah. you know Which one it's one like or the other yeah. you know don't I mean you see that them. yeah you definitely see that certain musicians that's their their uh, you know that they're incredible for two or three years and then the drugs start winning. Yeah, and then it becomes that, and then that's a sad story. And hey, man, it happens. Right. Uh, none of us are, are are above that, you know. Right. What I mean? You know, like it, it can open that, like they all, always say. You know, it can open up your mind to different things. Right. If it, right. if the balance, if the yeah. things go out of balance, then you're not making music anymore. That's very true. You're not being creative. No. Also, if it's a crutch, you know, if you need 
to do. You, you need it to play, you know. Yeah, it's very true. Then it's not good. Then there's another there's another side to everything. Like I'm sure that you must, you know, because you're so clean and sober, you must. It's this other thing that you reach yeah. where like it must be kind of annoying too because you're not deadening you said that. It's like oh, get away from me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know I, I don't know. I'm just a serial killer. Like, that's how I get it out of my system. You know. <laughs> Well, this is a great place to, but, bury but not the not people, just just uh, you know, just like uh, vegans. Yeah. <laughs> just sorry, vegans out there. No, I didn't. I didn't really mean that. My mom's a vegan. Not. <laughs> Your mom's not a vegan. No, she's not. <laughs> Cal, you rule.